Thank you, Trish. Uh, I shared the story with uh, Pastor Chris Plum the other day. And he said, uh, do you ever sort of tell your church these sorts of stories? So I'm not sure. So he said, well, you should. So I'll take his advice. This has got nothing to do with the message today. This is just a story. Um, so uh, when Trish and I met a long time ago, um, we were part of a church planting team out of our Bible college, and uh, we we were called to go and pioneer a church in our second in our second year. That's right, in our second year at Bible college, and um, we we were called to be part of the same team and and hanging around Trish, you know, doing prayer meetings and outreaches and all this sort of stuff. Uh, gradually, my eyes opened to who this gorgeous creature was before me. And um, I sort of went from we're a team to, hang on a minute, maybe we could be team, team both. So um, I did an interview and um, I sat down with Trish. In, I'll never forget it. It was a very profound day. We sat in the lounge room of the house that I was boarding in and uh, I was on this couch on this side of the room. She was on the couch on the other side of the room. And we were talking, I was interviewing her for the role of being my wife. And, um, and it's very romantic. And, um, and so she, she began to share some of her story. And, and as she spoke about certain parts of her story, um, I got hit by the love of God for his daughter. You know, it was like God just arrested my heart. And he went, I love this girl. And I want you to take care of her. And I thought, wow, that's a serious thing. <laughs> I was sort of hoping that she'd take care of me. And, uh, <clears throat> and she does. But, uh, you know, I got struck by the love of God. It was a moment of, of seeing Trish through the eyes of her Heavenly Father. That, that has never left me. Always stays with me. So on Friday... Uh, we went to a meeting, and uh, we were in a cafe. And I don't get to, believe it or not, I have lots of meetings in cafes, but I don't get to just sit in a cafe and read the paper and zone out that often. Um, so I was there to support her and encourage her, and she was going off to this meeting. And I, all I wanted to do was just read the paper and drink my coffee while she went off to a meeting. But she, she was, it was an important meeting, and she said, please, will you pray for me? It's like, oh, no one to. All right, then. So, you know, as she was walking to the lifts, I just was watching her, checking out her sexy legs, and um, and I was, I said, okay, Lord, I'll, I'll pray for her, and I began to pray, and uh, yes, husbands think like that, just in case you're wondering, and um, and I, I had this flash of Trish as this little 10-year-old girl, or 9-year-old girl, or young girl, and and I saw how nervous and anxious she was to, for this thing that was so big and overwhelming her. And in that flash of that moment, I heard God say, just take care of my girl. And I was struck again by the love God has for her. And he put it in my heart. So I just began to pray for her. And uh, I didn't read the paper. And I, I had to go for a walk because I was a bit upset by it all, so I walked around, and um, 
And it was just this moment of, you know, how long ago was this now? It's 19 years, I think. Is that right? Coming up to 20? Yeah. So, you know, 19, 20 years of being struck by the love of God for, for my wife at the beginning and then just getting a fresh strike a few days ago. It was a very profound thing and a very powerful thing. So um, it's a good thing. I hope that you feel the love of God for somebody in your life and that uh, somebody feels the love of God for you as well. So that's the story. That's for free. Thank you. I don't like to share stuff like that because it makes me cry and I don't like crying in front of people. I don't like crying full stop, actually, but there we go. Vainant, however, he loves crying. Um, <laughs> it's a beautiful thing to watch. Um, <laughs> okay, so I, I want to give you a bit of background to where this morning's message is coming from. Uh, you know, going back to that 19 years ago, 20 years ago, um, there we were... Um, this young couple who wanted to serve God, wanted to be missionaries, go anywhere. Trish came into the, into the agreement with a call to China. She believed she was going to go off into China and, and reach millions of people. She'd had this prof- prophetic word over her that was very profound and powerful for her. Uh, I wanted to go to Africa and, um, you know, go back and minister to my people, and uh, if I could go to a few other nations on the way, I would have been happy with that too, and uh, you know, there we were trying to find the point of agreement for both of us where we could lay down all of our stuff and become one and go forward with whatever God had in mind for us. So it was a a very tumultuous time, those three years that we were at Bible college and and forging our, our marriage and forging the ministry. So God was speaking a lot and he was depositing a lot of things and he was, am I losing the mic? No, okay. And, and um, you know, you, you hear a lot from God in that time because it lays the foundation for you, your convictions, your values, the things that are important. You know, as you get married, you, you come together and you say, these, on these things we will agree. And it's always good to have a few of those things. And you, you lay them down because uh, you have plenty that you'll disagree about, don't you? Um, so it's always good to find the points of agreement. And these things we're going to agree on and we're going to walk on and build on. And, um, and so a few very powerful things happened in that period of time. And, um, and subsequently with the birth of our boys and how God was speaking and laying some things down. So for me, uh, I, I got this book given to me by a man named Frank Damasio. And it's a long story because Frank Damasio is the son-in-law of uh, a pastor in Melbourne who was a pioneer pastor of a very different kind of church, a new wineskin church. And, um, <clears throat> and this particular pastor, um, I, I sought him out because I, I, really, I read his books and I thought he was quite a, a, a pivotal thinker and a catalyst for change. So I sought him out, and he was a retired pastor, and he never he, he didn't take visitors at this stage of his life. He didn't, you know, maybe he'd had too many as a pastor. I don't know. But anyway, he no longer took visitors. But somehow, I believe God uh, got 
me to get an appointment with him. I had an appointment with him. I said, look, you, you, your books have just impacted me so much. I just needed to meet you. And I really want you to pray for me. And I want what you've got. And um, he did. He prayed for me. And nothing happened that I could point the finger at and go, yes, I got it. I just knew this was something I had to do. And um, anyway, then I read the book by his son-in-law. And the book was called The Gate Church. And um, it spoke to me very powerfully. And, and it spoke about how um, Jacob is on his journey. And he reaches a point that later becomes known as Bethel. Bethel, the house of God. He, ha- he lies down. He's extremely tired. He's on the run. And um, he pulls up a rock and for a pillow, and he has a little sleep. And in the, in the sleep, he has a dream. And in the dream, he sees a ladder, a gateway into heaven. And on this ladder are angels coming up and down. Uh, and he wakes up, and he goes, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And there he makes a covenant with God, and he builds an altar, and he says, you know, God, if you'll be with me, then wherever I go, you'll be my God, and I'll give you a tenth of everything I own. It's all, it's all going to go back to you, so make a deal, as, a, as any good Jew should. And um, he strikes up a bargain with the Lord, and he goes on from that place. But the, the thing about Bethel, the thing about how significant that was, was it was a portal for heaven to engage with earth. It was a place where God decided that he would break through the atmosphere and through the natural realm with his supernatural power, and there would be a place that he would dedicate for that kind of activity to happen. And so Frank Demasio writes this book, and he says that it is possible for a church to become a place where God, a breakthrough portal where God can bring heaven's purposes down, and we can lift up earth's problems and issues, and there can be this divine interaction, this gateway of heaven on earth. It, it inspired me. You've got to know, this is 20 plus years ago. They weren't talking like this in the church. This was <clears throat> revolutionary language. And so you guys have grown up under the, the ministry here in this house where I've been talking from that place of conviction because it laid a conviction down in me that church should never be normal, religious, uh, a place where you just go and, and visit and, you know, go out the same. No, 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 no. It should be a place of divine interaction. You should hear from God. You should receive from God. You should feel the touch of God. You should be in the presence of God. That is what church should be. If we do it right, that's what will happen. That's what f- was forged in me in that time. Uh, it was to build a habitation for a visitation, if I can use old-fashioned terms. Um, and, and so I'll say it again, to build a habitation for a visitation. You know, I wanted to be a place, build a people, build a house where God would visit and you would be encountering God. And, you know, it freaked me out because we, we accomplished that and we would have some insane meetings as you've probably been part of where people would come in and I'd know their backstory and they would just start weeping and weeping and weeping in the house of God. And then They'd come once, twice, and then they'd leave because they could not handle the intensity of what God was doing here. And they needed to go sit on the beach. And they said to me, many of them have said to me, oh, you know what, the beach or the bush or wherever. Uh, they'd say, you know, I, I, I can't handle the fact that I just want to weep all the time. And, I, and it took me a, a lot of years to eventually come up with what the answer was, which was that, no, no, what's happening is your healing is taking, taking place in this, in this house. 
God is touching your heart. and He's going to places. That's why you're crying and you can't stop crying because he's bringing the oil of his healing. The balm of Gilead is being worked into you so that you can get the release that you need. You're carrying all this stuff and you need to find a place where you can drop that stuff and you can experience and encounter the healing of God. That's why healing, training, sending became so important to us because you can't have a house of God. You can't have a gateway to heaven and stay the same. You're going to get healed. Because every one of us comes broken. And if you're not broken, God will break you. That's his requirement. If life hasn't broken you, God will. If you want to walk with God, know God, you've got to be broken. He's the God of the broken. And and if you're proud, if you're all together and independent, you don't need God. Why are you here? Go to a club. Go to a pub. Go do whatever makes you happy. You're not going to be happy in this place because you're going to hear a message of humility and repentance and brokenness. You're going to hear a message about laying your life down and taking on the, the life that God has for you. That's not good news for people who got it all together. That's not good news. The gospel's good news for the poor. The gospel's good news for the brokenhearted. The gospel's good news for those who are bound up. The gospel's good news for those who are blind. The gospel's good news for people who've got no alternatives. Then it's good news. Because the the news of the gospel is so life-transforming and so demanding that you cannot be the same and call yourself a Christian. You literally die in order to live. You literally lay everything down in order to take up what God has for you. So the the idea that, that, you know, altogether people can find a place in church was foreign to me and has become my conviction about what church should be. And in the midst of all of that, God speaking to me and laying down these convictions about what church should really be and the revolutionary ideas that he was depositing for me at the time that I've tried to be faithful to walk out. Uh, we were in, in bed one night, Trish and I, just to clarify. Um, and Trish woke me up at about 2 a.m. She was shaking. We had a water bed. Made it even worse. She was shaking, shaking uncontrollably in the bed. And, and she said, I've, I've had a dream. And I've just seen something. And so she was praying in tongues. And, she, and I was like, well, what's going on? And she, she explained the dream to me. She said, we were in this big auditorium. And there was a stage with, with music and worship going on. And there were people filing in, hundreds of people filing in. And we were standing at the door, Trish and I. We were at the door. We were ushers. We were dressed in the usher uniform, black and white. We were standing there. All we were doing was ushering people into this place. That was our job. And, and the Holy Spirit, as she was explaining this to me, the Holy Spirit came down in that room and struck us. And we lay there speaking in tongues and, and just overwhelmed by this, this thing that God was doing. What it did was it laid a foundation or, or conviction in my life that I was to build a platform for ministers, and I was to help them to find their place, find their purpose, find their ministry, and send them on. That all I am is a doorman, a gatekeeper. All I am is is an usher in the house of God. And if I could, I would build a platform that would raise up men and women of God and send them to where God wants them to go. That's how healing, training, sending 
became part of our story. As I took that and went, God, help me to do that. And it was strange to me because I seemed to get up on the platform a lot, like I am now. And I was like, God, I'd wrestle with that and go, God, that's not what I want to do. I'd much rather be the dude at the back ushering people in. And I was, took a very literal view of that. And, and God had to explain to me and teach me that it wasn't a literal view. It was a spiritual function that he wanted me to take. And part of the, the array of gifts that he gave me to facilitate that, one of them was preaching. And so I'm not puffed up about my ability, but I know I can preach. And so God says, use that gift. Preach the message that I give you faithfully, and you will be ushering people into their purpose and into their ministry by doing that. And so, you know, I had to get over that because I didn't want to be the upfront guy. Actually, I'm extremely shy. I hate public stuff. I'm not, this is not me. This is the grace of God at work in me. Now I've got comfortable with it. I've been doing it for 20 years. So I've got comfortable with it. I'm over myself, largely. But in a social setting, you'll see I'm very shy. I'm not the, the center of attraction. I hate that. I want to sit in the corner quietly and go home early. And God, want, you know, for whatever reason, that's what God wanted to do with my life. He wanted to make his wisdom and his grace and his strength made known in my weakness. And, uh, and he gave me a wife who forced me into positions where I felt weak and vulnerable. So she would be the social bunny and I would be her glamorous attachment. And, um, you know, and so out of that, came this desire to, to build a, I ask God, how can I do this? How can I create this church, this environment that is a gateway, that is a, a portal for heaven's purposes on earth? How can I do that? What, are the, what is the formula? What do I need? And God began to speak to me, gave me from the book of Ephesians, a, a, a framework, a blueprint that I could work with. And the story of us driving to a camp, I've told you a few times, I'm sure, and, and me talking to Trish going, I'm reading this stuff in Ephesians about the fivefold ministry, about the apostolic ministry. It's really speaking to me. I don't understand what I'm reading. I've never seen it in real life. I don't know what to do with this, but God is speaking to me about it, and I have to walk this out. And that began the most tumultuous journey that we as a family ever took. With two small boys of three years old and one and a half year old, we, left, we, we had to leave from Melbourne to come to Perth, pioneer churches. Uh, as a result of, of understanding the model of Ephesians, we pioneered nine churches in different parts of the world. Did you know that? Um, and um, we, we, we worked all over the place, and we, we had great relationships in different countries, different places. We'd, we'd taken teams. And that was the Ephesians uh, model, the Ephesians blueprint being worked out. I wrote a book about it, The Divine Connection. It's available for sale, 10 bucks if you want a copy. Real cheap, but worth reading. And, um, and <clears throat> but at the same time as that, God saying, this is the blueprint, this is the foundation. I wanted to know what it would look like when we had that foundation in place. So God took me to the story of David's tabernacle. He said, if you want to know what it's going to look like and how it's going to function, this is it. And the things about David, David's tabernacle, one of the, the main things was that it was a 24-7 house of prayer and worship. Now, I'm going to go into that more in a, little, in a little minute, but I'm giving you all the background for how we arrive here. So forgive me for the, for the detail. And so I said, God, I'll do that. I'll, we'll come to Perth. We'll build a house of prayer. 
We'll build a place where we're, we're worshiping and praying and, and, it's, and it's on all the time and it's happening. God, I want that. I'll do that. And so for three years, we were, we were laboring towards that. And it was, it was difficult because it didn't have a worship team. And it was, it was difficult because we were stuck in a tiny little boat shed. And I was like, how is this going to happen? And so then God brought Candace into our life. And it was weird because Candace came with the same vision. She said, God's called me to build a house of prayer. I said, fantastic. You found your fit. The only difference was that God told her that the house of prayer was to be for all of Perth. When I just wanted one up the road here. Just want a little one that I can manage. You know, and, and not be overwhelmed by the bigness of this thing. But what happened was I felt God say, lay down your vision and lift up Candace in her vision and get behind her and build with her. So for the next seven or eight years or ten years, I lose track, we did that. And the day came, and, and you know, Candace's vision became my vision. I, I knitted my heart to, with her and went, okay, I'm behind you all the way. We'll do this, whatever it takes. Let's make this happen. And so we labored and labored and labored to build it. And, and you guys were part of that. We forged, we laid foundations in the life of this church that you are living on, that you are growing on. When, when you're new in this church, you're going to come in and you are going to pick up something divinely. It is what's been established in the Spirit. You're going to pick up a heart for prayer and worship. If this is where God wants you, what's going to happen is it's going to change your life in such a way that you're going to become a prayerful person. Your prayer life is going to become the mainstay of your Christian walk. That's one of the things that's going to happen as you make this, this church your home. You are going to have an ability to talk to God and hear from God that is supernatural because we've established a gateway through the life of prayer. We've established a portal for you to experience that. And if you don't experience that, it's going to be extremely frustrating for you because you're going to be working outside of the flow of the Holy Spirit in this place. And so God's going to do things in your life to bring you, going to break you of certain things to bring you into a place where you can connect with what he's doing right here. you hear what I said? If you haven't experienced the brokenness that's brought you to a place of real prayer, of really seeking God, it's coming. As long as this is your home, it's coming. That's what you're inheriting. And you think, oh, breaking me, that's terrible. Oh, no, no, no. This is the best news you could ever hear. Because it's in the place of humility that he lifts you up. That he raises you up. He promotes you. He brings increase to your life. In the place of pride, he resists you. No, not yet, son. You're not ready. Not yet, daughter. You're not ready for this. I can't do this. I can't give my glory to you. I'm not going to share my glory with you. You're not ready to carry it. And so I need you to be broken. And you've got to know that we are supposed to be carrying his glory. We're supposed to be walking in the fullness of the light and the glory of God, living the life of abundance, John 10.10, life to the fullest. That includes the glory of God. And so... We laid down the vision of David's tabernacle, and we said, okay, Candace, we'll build a house of prayer for Perth. Let's do this. And we did. And now God has a strategy unfolding with Candace where he's taking her regionally across the city, and he's putting her in places where the church needs to rediscover her foundation of prayer. And she's rebuilding that. She finished her task here. It's established She's gone down 
to the area she's in now, Midland area, and she's doing it there. And there will be another place and another place until God gives her all of Perth and she establishes it in the heart of Perth that will come. But for us, the foundation's laid. Now what do we build? What do we build on that foundation? And I feel like God said to me in the last little while, now you can go back to David's tabernacle. Now you can go back and you can build what I gave you 20 years ago. And so I want to share with you some of the things that God gave me. And it's where we're going in the next couple of weeks and months. Now, I don't know how long it's going to take to see the fullness of this. It's taken 20 years to get to here. <laughs> it might take another 20 or 30. It might be generational before we see the fullness of this. But this is God's intent for us as a church. Amos 9, 11, 12. Now, this is written after David's done this. This is a couple of generations after King David. Amos writes this to the people of Israel. He says, on that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does this thing. So there's something about David's tabernacle that God loved so much. And he wanted to build it and rebuild it in a new generation. And this was a generation who'd lost their way. Let me show you how. <clears throat> this is Amos's context. This is where he's speaking and prophesying. Right at the time that Amos is prophesying about God rebuilding David's tabernacle, there's a civil war going on between Israel and Judah. This is a nation divided. This was a nation that despised the word of God. They'd given up on God. They had begun selling their brothers into slavery. Could you imagine that? Look at the person next to you. Look at, look at them. And it has reached a point where we have turned our backs on God to such a degree that we're willing to sell that person into slavery. Could you imagine that? How far have they fallen? By now, they dehumanized and exploited the poor to such a degree that it was a terrible, tragic thing to be poor in Israel. There was rampant sexual immorality. Instead of coming to worship at the house of God, they came to perform lewd and disgusting sex acts that were unnatural and orgies. And, of course, they were worshipping false gods at this point. So what is God's answer? What is God's word to a nation in this context? He says to them, I'm going to rebuild David's tabernacle in the middle of you. Here's my strategy. Here's my answer to you. This is where you're at. My answer is, I'm going to restore David's tabernacle. So Amos is speaking about Israel's leader, and how he had unified and rebuilt the nation. And he's reminding them of what a revolutionary leader David was. And he's trying to bring out the strategy that David had employed from God when he achieved the impossible. So let's go back to David's context, and let's look at what he was facing when he inherited the throne, and he moved into Jerusalem, and he said, now I'm going to establish the city of God, the government of God. I'm going to lead this nation. I'm going to bring it 
into where it should be and take it forward into where it should go. This is what he wanted to do. So he'd inherited a divided nation. There was a national falling away from God. You read about that in 1 Samuel 8, 6, where God says to Samuel, he says, they haven't rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me as their king. There was a rejection of God's word as their authority. They said, give us a king to rule us, just like the other nations. They said, look, we don't want this word of God, this law and the covenant to rule us. We want a man, a king to rule over us. They were rejecting God's word as their authority. They had neglected God's presence. The ark of God's presence was no longer required in their lives. It had fallen into enemy's hands during the life of Saul. So David inherits a divided nation, a nation falling away from God, a nation rejecting God, and a nation who wants nothing to do with the presence of God. And so he seeks God. He says, God, what do I do as king? How do I bring this thing around? God says, here's my strategy. And essentially, this is what David responds. He says, we got to get God back at the center of our lives again. This is his primary goal. We've got to bring God back to the center of the nation. We're going to get the ark of his presence out of enemy hands, out of the desert. We're going to bring it back into our central place. We're going to put it on display in a giant open-sided tent right next to our political HQ here on Mount Zion. We're going to hire 4,288 full-time singers and musicians to worship the Lord 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And we're going to invest about $1.3 billion to pull this off. Could you imagine being Joab or Boaz or one of David's men and You've just walked in to this new phase of David now being king of Israel and Judah, and he's trying to reunite the nation, and you kind of go, what's your plan, David? What's your plan, king? Give us your plan. We're amped. We're going to do this. We're going to pull this off. What are we going to do? And then he says that. He says, we're going to build a tent, and we're going to sing and pray. And we're not just going to do a little one. We're going to do like almost 5,000 people. And we're going to use all of our money to make it happen. Now, Trish has been involved in politics. And could you imagine if Trish went into cabinet and said, uh, Prime Minister Scott Morrison, I have a solution for our divided nation. A nation that's lost its way and a nation that is falling away from God. And here's what I propose. Right here in Canberra, we're going to put up a tent. We're going to fill it with singers and worshipers and prayers, and we're going to invest all of our money, all of, this, all of the annual budget into this thing, and we're going to become known as the people of God again. Yay, goes the cabinet. Woohoo! What a brilliant idea. That is why David was such a revolutionary leader. That is why David was such a courageous leader. To be able to stand up and say, this is my plan. This is my strategy. To a nation in that particular state, took an incredible amount of strength and courage. David was, 
you know, he'd earned it on the battlefield, and this is where it counted. He was a warrior and a worshiper like no other. I want you just to just quickly just show you some of the things David wrote while he was in the process of being ready to bring leadership to this nation. Psalm 27, lift up your heads, O you gates, so that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? You know that song? I will lift my voice to worship you, my King. This is the kind of stuff that was just echoing in him. And he was like, I can't wait for the day when the prophecies over my life come to pass and I get to have the authority to do this properly in this nation. I can't wait for the day where I can say, open wide the gates so that the King of glory may come in. I'm living for that day, he writes in Psalm 27. One thing I desire, one thing that I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I can't wait till I'm king. Not like the Lion King song, but actually David's song. I can't wait until I'm king where I can build a house and all I can do is dwell in it day upon day, night upon night, where I'm happy to be a doorkeeper in the house of God rather than be the king sitting on the throne of a divided nation. You've got to get the heartbeat that's rocking in David while he's doing this. Psalm 22 verse 3, it says God sits enthroned on the praises of his people. He didn't write that because it sounded nice and it looked pretty on paper. He wrote that because he understood that when When the people come to praise God, it literally brings him into the place. It becomes a portal for heaven to come down to earth. And God sits enthroned. His kingship, his majesty, his royalty, his authority, his power, his greatness is made manifest when God's people begin to praise him with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They pour out their love on him. He gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. He, he caught this in his spirit. He was like, bring the day. Bring the day when I'm king because I'm going to build this thing. 1 Chronicles 25 verse 1. His strategy goes beyond just singing and praying. He says, you know what we need? We need prophets. We need prophets to bring the restoration of light and truth and power and strength. We need men and women of God to stand up and declare these things over and over. What I'm doing now, we need this over and over, day upon day, night upon night. We need to be releasing the wisdom of God to the heavenlies. Paul wrote this. He had a vision of this. He got this in Ephesians 3.10. He said, it's the purpose of the church, you, me, to make the manifold wisdom of God known in the heavenly realms to the rulers and the principalities and the spiritual powers that exist there. It's our purpose. He got it. David got it. It's like, this is why we're the people of God. We're not going to worry about the squabbles on earth. We're going to direct it where it matters. When he did this, when he implements the strategy, when he rolls this out, it unlocks a season, years of unprecedented military might and economic prosperity because it was built upon agreement with God. It wasn't just David's kingdom that prospered. It wasn't just that tent that got rich. It wasn't just Jerusalem that benefited because they'd sacrificed to put this thing up. The entire nation 
benefited from this kind of response to what God was doing. It echoed and reverberated. Have you not heard that God is the God of multiplication? When we go one plus one equals two, God goes 10 times 10 equals 100. One puts flight to 1,000, but two puts flight to 10,000, he says. You've got to get into the, the mind of God on this. He says, if you'll come and you will seek my face and you will turn from your wicked ways and you will pray and seek me, then I'll hear from heaven and I will come and heal your land. Not just you, but the whole land. David got, caught this and he was like, I've got to get this thing up. I've got to get this thing established because it's going to reverberate and echo well beyond the individual. We, One Church Perth, are going to be blessed as we do this. But it's going to echo and reverberate far and wide and up and down. Your children, your children's children are going to live on the inheritance that we're going to land here. David laid up for Solomon everything he needed to go to the next level and beyond and beyond. God brought to David the resource to do in two generations what multiple generations had been unable to do before him. This was a key that unlocked the power, the presence, the purposes, the provision, the glory of God in a way that nothing else had done. Can you see why when I heard about this, you see why it got into me? You see why I was like, well, I'm ruined for anything else. I don't want any other kind of church. What the heck are we doing? Let's do that. 20 years later, he's opening it up again. So come on then. Let's do this. David pioneered a kingdom movement long before anyone should have. We today are catching up on the kingdom message. It's echoing. Listen, guys. Wherever you go in the world today, wherever there's a prophetic release, wherever the Holy Spirit's moving, you're going to hear the kingdom message. It's the restoration of kingdom. We're in that season. It's the fruit of the restoration of the apostolic. This is where we started. What results is that as you begin to move apostolically, it produces a kingdom mindset, kingdom values. You start to look at the world around you. As you get things right in your own house, you get the foundation right in the house of God, and the people of God begin to reflect the fullness of Christ the way that we're supposed to, you start looking around the world and going, hmm, this is out of order. We should, we should be a solution for this. So, so we start to apply kingdom principles. And we start to say, go into all the world, specifically one part of it for you. Go in there and turn it upside down for the sake of Christ. We want to equip you to do that. David led a subversive singing movement, defying the tyranny of a 40-year rebellion against God. He called down the godless humanistic systems propagated by his predecessor. He sparked an unprecedented spiritual awakening and governmental reformation when he made day and night prayer and worship the driving force of the nation. It's from a book called Enthroned by David Fritch. I get inspired when I read stuff like that. What should I do with my life? What will I do when I'm big one day? Gee, I want to do that. I want to be part of that. 
God at the center. The tabernacle was positioned as the center of life, of culture and government. Did you get that? Praise and prayer went on continuously, saturating the atmosphere of the city. The atmosphere of the city. For a church, for the church in the 21st century who are asleep to the idea that there is an atmosphere that they are living in, there is an atmosphere that they have authority over, there is an atmosphere that dictates to them whether they're going to do something or not do something and how they're going to live and how they're not going to live. When a church is asleep to that, we need a church that wakes up and begins to change the atmosphere for the sake of those that are blind, cannot see, deaf, cannot hear, hearts cold, cannot receive. And there needs to be a people of God who will stand up and say, we've got to change the atmosphere over this place. We did that. We did that in this region. It was the graveyard of churches. It no longer is. Churches are living, thriving, and surviving. Because we, what did we do? Did we get together with all the pastors and say, you know, you just need better leadership skills. You know what you need? You just need a bit more program orientation. No, you, need, you just need to be, uh, you know, a little bit more pastoral and then your church will be fine. No, we didn't do that. We saturated the atmosphere with praise and worship. We claimed the atmosphere as belonging to Jesus Christ and not coming under the power and the principalities of the air. And that changed church life. And because it changed church life, Christians began to thrive. Because Christians began to thrive, property prices went up. Because property prices went up, everyone began to be prosperous. Except those who needed to buy a house. You get what I'm saying? It brings transformation that flows on and on. And non-Christians are impacted. It becomes known as a beautiful place to live rather than the slum by the sea. This is the kind of stuff that God was doing. In 1 Chronicles 25.1, the prophets led the worship. There was divine proclamation, decree, and revelation. That was the sound of Jerusalem. What's the sound of your house? What's the sound of your family? What would define the sound of the Mansell home? Or the Tempest home? Or the McWilliam home? What's the sound? Because I tell you, the sound that was coming out of Jerusalem was a sound of divine proclamation, divine decree, divine revelation. They were singing things that were unlocking, revealing, reordering, building up, tearing down. That was the sound. But the sound was the authority of God released on the earth. You couldn't escape it. This is what was being played out day by day. When we went to Malaysia, we went to a place called Moa. It's a good way, it's a good sound, isn't it? Moi. You can say that. It's almost like a kiss, isn't it? Moi. We went there. And we stayed in a hotel between two mosques. And day and night, there were people on the PA, on the public address system, going, You could just, all day and all night. They saturated the atmosphere of Moor with worship, prayer, proclamation, decree over Moor was this false God ideology being released. 
the atmosphere was thick with it. And every call to prayer hour, you would hear them. And it would send chills down my, down my spine. It taught me something so profound and so powerful about the effect that the church has in the spirit realm. It was like in living technicolor. There it is. You can live under that or you can live under the praises of God. That can be your sound, the sound of your city, or the sound of your city can be worship and praise and prayer and release from the Heavenly Father. Which one do you want? Man, it just struck me and I was like, I'm not having that one. I want the sound of this church to be the sound of the authority of God released on the earth. The gateway of heaven. That's our sound. Yes, come in. God will meet you. Come in. He will touch you. Come in. Your life will be changed. Oh, yes, you might have to lay some stuff down, but it's worth it. It's the sound of our house. What's the sound of your house? There were 24 elders, fathers, leading 288 singers in ceaseless shifts of praise. <clears throat> elders, fathers. We, you know, we, the church is run by mothers, juniors. We hand it over. Yeah, you let the young guys have a go. No. Let the fathers stand up and take their position. Become the head of the home. Become the spiritual head. Become the man God's called you to be. Step in. Take up your authority. You've been given it already. What are you doing with it? Here's an opportunity to step up and be the spiritual head and release something. Create the sound over your family. Create the sound over the life of your wife. Create the sound in the church. Don't leave it. Don't hand it off. Don't behave like Adam. Oh, not me. It was her. Don't do any of that. Don't become like Absalom and go, yes, Jezebel. Anything you say, Jezebel. Three bags full, Jezebel. Not Absalom, sorry, Ahab. Don't become like him. Let's, let's move away from that and let's become the men. Australia needs more men. When, when my hero, former Brigadier SAS guy, Jim Wallace, when Jim Wallace came to this church, I was unashamed. I stood up in front of all the men and I said, this guy's my hero. Well, I saw it. I saw the ripple of it. Like, yeah, you know why he's my hero? Because Australia needs another thousand Jim Wallaces. Because this is a guy who's risen to the top of his field in a very, very tough field, let me tell you. He's risen to the top by the grace of God. He knows he's God. He knows who his God is, just in case you didn't understand what I said there. And we need more and more men like that. Why don't we have that? God's giving us an opportunity. Arise, fathers, elders, take up your place. Lead the singers. 1 Chronicles 9.33, there were 4,000 deacons who served to ensure that this place ran 24-7. I come back to, I will not offer God a sacrifice that costs me nothing. As I look at this, I'm struck again 
by what it's going to take to set up David's tabernacle and see the atmosphere change and the lives change in my region and my church, the sound of my church change. Struck by that. What sacrifice am I going to do? Because you see, when God's at the center, he's at the center every hour of every day and under David's rule for 33 years at a cost of 33 million per month, totaling 1.3 billion. And the result is that God is praised, prayed to, and echoed under a good leader. And this man was without a doubt a man after God's own heart. What am I going to do? That's the challenge God's putting to me. How am I going to invest in this, make this happen? So I've got a few ideas rolling through my mind, and I'm going to, it's going to change the way I live if I follow through on these. It's going to affect my sleep patterns. It's going to affect my rest patterns. It's going to, it's going to affect everything if I do this. But I want to be a man after God's heart. And if the man after God's heart did that, then maybe I should do the same. Monkey see, monkey do. So let me say this. We're going to get God back at the center of our lives and our church community. We're going to provide a place, a light on a hill that cannot be hidden where people can come and find God. We're going to pray and praise God and saturate the atmosphere of our lives, our families, our region with the glory of God. Isaiah 60 verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. See, darkness is over the people and a thick darkness is over the earth, but your light rises on you. We're going to be without a doubt a people after God's own heart. So let me finish by saying this. It would be absolute foolishness to attempt to do something like this unless God was to do it through us. And if you don't believe in the value, the power, and the necessity of prayer, why bother? I wonder if there's a company of Davids who want to see God honored in this way. I wonder if there are any prophets, intercessors, worships, Nazarites who are hungry to sacrifice something of value for their king. Oh my. Our young people are not going to be changed by youth ministries that entertain. Our young people are going to be changed by fathers and mothers who got the heart of God and prayed and worshipped and sacrificed and led them into the presence of God and said, this is how you see the hand of God moving in your life. And our young people, any young person who has a heart to know God and walk with God will be forever ruined by that experience. I, I, I feel so burdened and so sorry for so many young people whose introduction 
to Christianity and God has been, God is cool. God is the coolest mate you'll ever have. God just wants to bless you. He wants you. You're awesome. And you can do anything for God and with God. So cool. And my heart breaks at that cheap, shallow, empty message. I want young people to come and hear about a God who transforms you from who you are into who he's made you to be. And they can experience his power every step of the way. Will that be a remnant? Probably. Will that be the majority? Unlikely. I'm okay with that. Long ago, I settled the fact that I don't need the biggest church to validate what God's asked me to do. People say, whenever you preach, it's like you're preaching to 10,000 people. So I'm like, yeah, I am. There's a crowd, an unseen crowd of witnesses who are listening in with bated breath going, ha, oh, another one just got it. Another one just got it. It's just about the echo of heaven is about to reverberate. Listen, that's what I'm after. I'm after the, the, the throng of heaven erupting in praise and worship because somebody echoed down here what God was saying up there. That's what I'm after. I'm after the approval of God. I'm not after anything else. It's empty. It does not matter. I've waffled on. Forgive me. I've unloaded. There's a lot more. I want to share with you about the Nazarites, about how you are a Nazarite generation. I want to mess your world up. I want to ruin you for normal. I want to create an environment where you catch fire. I want you to look at your life and be extremely dissatisfied and say, this is not it. There's got to be more. I want you to be hungry for more of God, courageous to make the changes that he asks you to, 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 to make, prayerful so that you can be wise. I want, to, I want to do my best to create a company of Davids who are going to change their world. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your deposit. Thank you, God, for this incredible body of believers. In your wisdom, you know who needed to hear this today. In obedience, I have released it. Now I ask you to watch over your word, to be careful to ensure that every purpose you have set for it comes to pass in the lives of your people. Father, I pray. For your tabernacle, the kingdom of God manifest on the earth to be established by the work of our hands and the sacrifices we are prepared to make for you. Speak to us through this week. Unsettle us. Echo your purposes in our hearts all through the week. We are yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
May the love of the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with you always. I remembered.